This is A Word, a new podcast from Slate. I'm your host, Jason Johnson. From Black Panther to the Falcon and the Winter Soldier, Black characters are rewriting the superhero narrative for a new generation. Only thing bumming me out is the fact I have to live in a world without Captain America. They can save the world and fight the bad guys, but do they have the power to transform the way Black people are viewed on the screen? Or even in real life? Black comic book heroes, next on A Word, with me, Jason Johnson. Stay with us. Dreaming of a better sleep? Tossing and turning is not your destiny. And Ollie is here to help. Ollie invites you to sink into sweet, sweet slumber to improve your mental and physical health and overall wellness. More than just melatonin, Ollie's ingredients help you unwind your mind for a delightfully dreamy drift off. Sleep is on the way at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. Welcome to A Word, a podcast about race and politics and everything else. I'm your host, Jason Johnson. It was just three years ago when Marvel's Black Panther took Hollywood and the rest of the world by storm. I cannot rest while he sits on the throne. He's a monster of our own making. I must take the mantle back. I must. It broke box office records and finally convinced white audiences and cultural gatekeepers in Hollywood that black superheroes could be just as popular and profitable as Superman and Batman. With the re-release of the Justice League movie on HBO Max and the launch of the highly anticipated Disney Plus series, Falcon and Winter Soldier, black superheroes are once again at the forefront of our pop culture. This isn't news to John Jennings. He's a professor of media and cultural studies at the University of California, Riverside, as well as an award-winning comic book artist. Welcome to Award. How you doing? Thank you for having me, Jace. Look, you and I are both comic book fans, but for folks who are casual fans of comic books at best, why does it matter if black characters are actually front and center in in the comic book genre now that it's sort of so pervasive in American culture? I personally think that um, everyone who is in a society or participating in a society deserves to see themselves reflected back at them. Since the inception of our country, white people have actually taken that for granted, you know, to to a great deal, or, or, and honestly, anyone who is in power takes that for granted. And so there's also like this um, projection of, or demonization of of black folk or um, denigration of black people that has actually been part of our country as well. And so it begs the question like, well, how's the black character actually be trusted enough to save you? That kind of thing. So, you know, these these are some really interesting questions uh, when we talk about like heroism and whose culture is actually being counted and whose history is being counted. So the other thing too is like comics are basically about like these these morality tales. They're they're extremely uh, mired in like uh, ideas around like good and good and evil. And so sometimes to some people, it actually might be like oxymoronic to talk about a black superhero, right? Like how can a black person be a, be a hero? You know, that kind of thing. So these are some of the the ideas that kind of pop up. And, you know, traditionally in, in popular culture, uh, you know, these particular stereotypes have kind of like, you know, haunted the black image in popular media. And so to see something like Black Panther or Falcon or Cyborg or Black Lightning or what have you, um, these particular characters start to become extremely um powerful and empowering to black people in particular. So in the last week or so, you got two big features that have premiered and a lot of ways they were centered on black heroes. So we're going to start with talking about the Falcon and winter soldier. 
We got Anthony Mackie starring as the Falcon. This is a superhero who main power seems to be that he has sort of a flying suit. He's sort of a techno genius. But in this clip from the premiere episode, we hear Falcon trying to get a bank loan. I've been gone like several billion other people. But if you look at our plan, I have government contracts. So that's proof of earnings. And I know for a fact that we qualify for SBA loan. Under the old terms, sure. But these days, with everyone just showing up, well, things tighten up. How does that scene sort of play into that role of, of black people being much more grounded as heroes? That scene from the first episode of Winter Soldier. I find that, um, you know, a lot of people don't, you know, don't realize or haven't really thought about the fact that there are tropes that are and, and ideas that are connected to superheroes as a genre, right? And so there's this really, it's this cool book called um, Superhero, The Secret Origins of a Genre by Peter Coogan that actually lays out like three categories that actually like illustrate what a, what a, a superhero is, right? And so one of them is the powers, of course, as an identity. And there's this thing called a mission. And a lot of times that mission is supposed to be altruistic. Right. So, you know, superheroes are not supposed to be paid for their what they're doing, because basically they're deciding to do this. You know, now you look at someone like Falcon. Falcon was in the military. Some people were like, well, why didn't he go to Navy Federal? Because he's actually a veteran. And the other thing is, like, it does actually like speak to the amount of sacrifice that black people in this country have, you know, have gone through to, to, to help build the nation, but also how. The nation hasn't loved them back, you know, so we're talking about not ac- having direct access to the GI Bill. We're talking about like an erasure of, um, you know, of the history of, of black soldiers and, and people in, in, in the military. Uh, we're talking about just how, how people have been treated, how black people have been treated after they come back from wars, you know, this kind of thing, too. So also, too, just to start off with it, that scene, it's not in the, in the clip, but, you know, when the, the white bank owner thinks that he's an athlete at first, too, you know. Um, yeah, it's just definitely talking about like from like really, really particular uh, microaggressions or even macroaggressions to a direct indictment of like, you know, institutionalized, you know, racism in our, in our country, even for someone as, you know, amazing as the Falcon is, you know. Is keeping all of these black superheroes grounded in real world issues instead of always fighting aliens or jumping through universes like white folks? Is that a lack of imagination with black characters or is it because we as consumers find them more authentic and engaging when they're facing the real world issues that we face? On some level, you want to actually have a character that will allow you to escape the everyday. But I I would, you know, but definitely would argue that comics, particularly superhero comics, have always dealt with the um, the on the ground, you know, everyday um, kind of issues, social issues. Even Superman started out as more of a socially centered character. And of course, you, you look at sometimes, like you look at some of the characters in the 70s, like uh, Green Lantern and Green Arrow, where they are, where Denny O'Neill and uh, Neil Adams actually created a series of comics where these two white characters were actually actively dealing with like racism and land rights and all these different issues, right? I would say that, you know, it depends on it depends on the reader in some fashion. I think we should actually have like a, a smattering of both. Personally, I feel like as a black artist, as a as a scholar, as someone who who wants to see these things uh, unpacked and 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 dealt with, I think it's very difficult for me to actually get down with a character that's you know fighting against Galactus or like Thanos or what have you. If you know you're still dealing with like these racialized issues on the planet, something's gonna re- really feel corny and not. 
uh, relevant if it doesn't deal a little bit with what's going on in the society because entertainment has always done that and comics definitely have always done that. We're going to take a short break. When we come back, more Black comic book heroes with artist and professor John Jennings. This is A Word with Jason Johnson. Stay tuned. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. You're listening to A Word with Jason Johnson. Today, we're talking about black comic book heroes with comic artists and Professor John Jennings. I want to turn to Justice League. Um, you know, the, the, so Justice League has this thing called the Snyder Cut, which for audience to understand, there was an original Justice League film that came out in 2017. It wasn't very popular. It made money globally, but it was it was just sort of riddled with critical attacks. And it's just been re-released. An extended version was released on HBO Max about a week ago. And in this new version, a character named Cyborg, played by Ray Fisher, had a heck of a lot more screen time than he did in 2017. We're going to listen to this quick clip. He unleashed an alien technology he didn't fully understand. He used that power to keep me alive. Life. But turned into this. So then we find out about a year ago that the actor, Ray Fisher, who plays Cyborg in the original Justice League film, said that it was an incredibly hostile environment, that the director of the film Justice League, Joss Whedon, had been racially discriminatory and had retaliated against him by cutting the screen time and the role of his character Cyborg in the original film. Now that the Snyder Cut has been released, we see that Cyborg, the character that Ray Fisher played, is actually a linchpin of the film and a really important character overall in this new DC universe. Well, I mean, it's definitely not a new phenomenon. Um, for instance, if you look at Lee, the first uh, the Green Lantern film, right, the John uh, Stewart character, who's a black Green Lantern, really is the is the more known because of the fact that you know, just like Cyborg, uh, this character has been on multiple platforms, and John Stewart is a really popular character um, on Justice League and Justice League Unlimited. They still went with Ryan Reynolds as the uh, the white uh, you know Hal Jordan version of the character, in spite of the fact that there was obviously an audience of people who knew that character more. Um, I'm hoping that now that this cut is out, that it's definitely a message to not only Warner Brothers, but other uh, larger transmedia companies that it really is in their best interest to listen to the audience, to listen to these different constituencies who are not used to seeing themselves reflected on, on, in these spaces. And um, also, too, that systemic racism and also uh, inherent personal bigotry does exist, you know, and that. Sometimes it manifests itself, sometimes even some subconsciously, you know, in different ways to kind of like not let these particular images come out, you know. When I was a kid growing up, most of the black superheroes were really lame. Originally, Black Lightning and a lot of these black superheroes were dependent on some white guy making them a technical suit. How has that changed today? What have we seen in the evolution of black male and female characters that now 
They are empowered. They do have natural abilities. Why do you think we've seen that change? And, and where is that sort of played out in, in TV and cartoons and comic books? I had the same experience um, coming up. So I think what starts to happen is you start to see that these black characters and these mainstream comic book companies, they start to hire black editors and black writers who really care about them and, and bring a level of authenticity and meaning and empowerment to these characters, right? So what's happened is you've seen like these people who are coming from these spaces um, actively making characters that look like them or writing about characters that look like them. You know, if you read through these comics these days, they're really good. They're actually like doing a great job of doing their research and also really, really stretching out and, and kind of like filling up these characters a lot more. I think when you have like black editors or editors who are of th the same uh, cultural background as the characters, you start to see a lot of enrichment. John, you create comics yourself. While the universe of black comics is really diverse, it's not always easy to make a space for yourself. So can you tell us a little bit about your comic imprint and what got you into this business? Yeah, I started out as a, as a curator, actually, to a certain degree. Me and my friend Damian Duffy started working together about 15, 16 years ago and making comics together and studying race and uh looking at form and, and things of that, that nature. And so I ended up being becoming someone who was a scholar of comics. That's how I started. And I was making like independent comics around 2012 or so. We actually got the honor to adapt uh, Octavia Butler's award-winning, groundbreaking book, Kindred, into a graphic novel. It was a New York Times bestseller. It won the Eisner Award and it sold uh, you know a lot of copies. And now it's you know translated into several uh, languages. We're going to take a short break. When we come back, more Black comic book heroes with artist and professor John Jennings. This is A Word with Jason Johnson. Stay tuned. Shipping can make or break a sale, so optimize how you ship your orders with ShipStation. They make it easy to automate and manage orders no matter how big your business grows. And they might even be able to help reduce shipping and warehouse costs. So optimize and keep up your momentum for growth with ShipStation. Sign up for your free 60-day trial now at ShipStation.com and use the code P-O-D. That's ShipStation.com with the code P-O-D. You're listening to A Word with Jason Johnson. Today, we're talking about Black comic book heroes with comic artist and professor John Jennings. I want to talk about science fiction in general and, and how African-Americans, when we see these superheroes, when we see discussions of Afrofuturism come into play. Talk a little bit about how black people are actually centered in science fiction. And yet, in a lot of ways, until recent years, our characters have been cut out of it in the mainstream. Um, my friend Lisa Yazik, who's a really famous uh, science fiction scholar, says that Afrofuturism in some ways is a way to reclaim the history of the future. And what she meant by that was like, if you look at like, you know, science fiction and, and fantasy work from that era, from like the 1950s or what have you, you don't see people of color. You don't see black people, <laughs> you know. And so you wonder, like, where are we? Right. And so, of course, just like in horror movies, too, you know, blackness is living in the metaphor. So, you know, the zombie is black, you know, the monstrous is black, you know, it's everything that is uh, fearful to white people in these fantasy spaces. And what they're doing is they're using the monstrous or the alien to kind of deal with the societal issues through allegory, right? So what happens when we start making science fiction and fantasy? What happens then? And you start to colonize 
the imagination with the black with a black radical imagination, you know, to borrow from Robin D.G. Kelly, right? So that's when things get really, really interesting. Um, and also, too, you start to, to deal with like representations. For so, for instance, um, even though it was the beginning of a change, you know, if you look at like the Star Trek, the original Star Trek television show, and you see a character like Michelle Nichols, Lieutenant Uhuru. She represented the fact that we survive into the future. And so there's a famous story that she was she was like um, about to quit the show and she was at a dinner party and basically someone introduces her to one of her, quote unquote, biggest fans. And the fan turns around and it's, it is, uh, you know, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. And what he tells her is like, your show, Star Trek, is one of the only shows I can watch my family. He was a fan of the show. And the other thing is that he was like, sister. You represent us in the future. You represent the fact that we make it, you know. And if you think about it, the idea of a black radical imagination and you apply it to like black liberation politics, you know, when Dr. King is talking about that mountaintop in his speech, that mountain doesn't exist on this plane of existence. It's an imaginary um, prototype, you know, that actually represents a, a particular type of future. So, you know. When black folks start writing about the future, it's a radical act. We've always kind of focused on um, using our creative endeavors through like critical making to actually create the future. Last year, uh, Chadwick Boseman, who was an incredible actor, um, passed away from cancer. It surprised and shocked everyone. And he was this amazing character. I mean, he brought life to the Black Panther movie. And Marvel announced soon after his death that his playing of that role was so iconic that they did not want to recast him for any future iterations of Black Panther. And at one point, it seemed like they were almost saying, we don't even want to do this character anymore if, if this man is not with us. He was that integral to the Marvel Universe. Given how we sort of talked about how these myths endure and how important they are, what was sort of your feeling about the idea that that Black Panther will not be recast and that the passing of Chadwick Boseman might mean that this role isn't presented on screen anymore or the small screen anymore in honor of him. Do you, did you see that as weird? Do you think it's something that should happen? I was curious. I can see how uh, Marvel would take that stance, especially since he died in the middle of these this amazing sweeping amount of protests for the movement for Black Lives. I, I do hope that they that they reconsider. I understand the idea of, of giving reverence to it, but I think also that that character is so important to so many people, um, particularly people of color throughout the diaspora, that I think it would be in the best interest for them to, to recast him. I think I, that's what I would do. It would, it would serve not only the growth of the character, but also just it would fall into the traditions of what has, ha has happened in you know, the mythopoetics of like, you know, transmedia storytelling around these characters actually too. And I wonder if, it, and, and this is the thing I've thought about too, are they not recasting T'Challa or are they not recasting the Black Panther? Because that's the other thing is that, you know, the Black Panther is a mantle um, that is passed down from generation to generation. So for instance, I mean, they could do a prequel. They could do T'Chaka as the Black Panther. They could do an ancient Black Panther, you know, because Black Panther itself is actually, it's, it's, a, it's a position. So I'm hoping that, that they actually kind of like open their minds about that kind of thing. But if I was them, I would, I would recast T'Challa. Um, I want to say this, and I want to, uh, talking about the future, this is sort of a perfect way for us to to wrap up a lot of what we've we've covered here. I want to talk about, a prominent black person who is taking ownership of what might be the granddaddy of all white characters in American popular culture. 
Ta-Nehisi Coates has been tapped to supposedly write the new Superman film, which will also be directed by J.J. Abrams. I have to ask you, as, as, a, as a scholar who also writes and produces this content, first off, what did you think when that news dropped? And then, as a creator of content, how do you think having a great writer like Coates, given the searing analysis he's presented of race and culture in this country, how do you think that's going to affect him writing a character like Superman? So I was really excited about it, actually. Um, I really liked his second run in particular on Black Panther, the intergalactic Wakandan empire where Black Panther is in outer space. (laughs) His run on Captain America, I think, is stellar. Actually, I was reading back through it. Uh, He was writing the Captain America comic. And so when I saw that announcement and you think about, like, how Superman represents a particular type of American ideal and how good Coates is at, you know, critiquing that America idea from various standpoints, but also loving it too, you know what I'm saying? Because it's a loving critique, you know? I think that he would do a great job at it. I think he should, they, I think they should let him write, you know, Clark Kent, you know? Because he did a great, I think he, I think he did a great job writing um, Steve Rogers. He uses the voices of these different characters very well to like talk about what's good and also what needs to be fixed, which is a lot, you know, about our society. So I'm excited. We've been talking with comic book artist John Jennings. He is a professor of media and cultural studies at the University of California, Riverside. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much for having me. And that's a word for this week. If you're enjoying a word, please subscribe, rate, and review. Did you know you could be listening to this show ad-free? All it takes is a Slate Plus membership. It's just $1 for the first month, and it also helps us keep making our podcast. Sign up now at slate.com slash a word plus. The show's email is a word at slate.com. This episode was produced by Ayana Angel and Jasmine Ellis. Asha Saluja is the managing producer of podcasts at Slate. Gabriel Roth is Slate's editorial director for audio. Alicia Montgomery is the executive producer of podcasts at Slate. June Thomas is senior managing producer of the Slate Podcast Network. Our theme music was produced by Don Will. I'm Jason Johnson. Tune in next week for a word. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.